Welcome to Women of Marvel. I'm Angelique Roche. I'm Ellie Pyle. And I'm Judy Stevens. And today we are traveling to Wakanda to explore the credible women in that world and the relationships between them, who they are, what they stand for, and how they relate to one another. We'll start in the comics talking to the legendary artist, Aletha Martinez. And then we'll hear from the incredible Angela Bassett, who plays Queen Ramonda in Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Now, Aletha Martinez's career in comics started in the 1990s. And she's best known for Marvel comics like Iron Man, Cable 1999, and Moon Girl. But some of you may not know she is the first black woman to be credited as an artist at Marvel. Now, most relevant to our conversation today, she worked on the first ever appearance of the Dora Milaje, also one of the first books she was ever credited on, and illustrated the Eisner Award-winning six-issue comic series, Black Panther World of Wakanda. The series was written by two other trailblazers, two of the first black women to write for Marvel Comics, Roxane Gay and Yona Harvey. They wrote the series in 2017, and it focuses heavily on Wakanda's women, particularly the Dora Milaje. Let's check out my conversation with Aletha now. I'm here. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. For those who may not be aware, you, Aletha Martinez, have loved comic books since you were a wee, wee lass living in Florida. And you came up to New York and have now become what a lot of us love calling like a trailblazer, right? Like you have known what you want to do and broke in to doing that one thing and are still working within comics. For listeners who may not be familiar that they've seen your work all over the place, talk to us a little bit about what you do. Well, my name is Letha Martinez, and I am a comic book artist. I am, So I'm told, the first woman of color to draw flagship titles for both Marvel and DC Comics. My first big book was Iron Man. I always kind of want to give people context. So you started doing comic book art in the 90s. You were doing work and people didn't even know you were doing the work. Behind the scenes doing layouts and pencils and all this other work. And then in the 1990s, as you mentioned, you have Iron Man. And one of your other first books was actually working on Black Panther for the Marvel Knights Black Panther series that was written originally. The first writer on that was Christopher Priest. I mean, mm-hmm. yo, like... What has it been able to see this evolution of that character from 1998 to today? Well, I tell you, when I was first introduced to this book, I'm working with Mark Textiera and he designed the characters and I'm looking at them. It's like, okay, what are we doing? Pencil, ink and wash. Okay, let's hit this. And I get this thing and it's in front of me and it's like, oh my goodness, it's Black Panther. I've never heard of Black Panther before. I didn't even know they had a Black Panther. And he's coming to New York and he's coming from where? This place called Wakanda. Are we drawing Wakanda? No, we're not drawing Wakanda. Okay. So here we are and here he comes with these two women, the Dora Milaje and... Yeah, they looked quite different. Yes, very different. They were big hair, high heels, short skirts. They kind of look like they were in, and this is just my opinion, that first panel where they're flanking him and they've got Mm -hmm. this red dress on and these black high heels and these big hair. They look like a 1970s 
girl backup group behind James Brown. That is my personal opinion. Like, I literally feel like, or they're like <laughs> Tina Turner's dancers. Like, I feel like their hands are going to fly to the front and fly to the back, and they're just like rolling, and they're going to start shaking. Because they very much, their outfits were not practical for women who now, you know, are known for being the guard, because as you know, their roles have evolved. You know, mm-hmm. so fast forward, you got to work on Black Panther World of Wakanda with Roxane Gay. You also mm-hmm. did some work with Yona Harvey. But you've also, like, drawn the Dora Milaje in other places. You've now worked on different parts of the Marvel Universe. And you get this opportunity not only to draw the Dora Milaje, but the Dora Milaje are in Wakanda. So now we're not in New York. We're in Wakanda. And this is the first time we really get a book that is just centered on the Dora Milaje. For listeners who haven't read it yet, can you give us a quick primer of that series? Like, what characters are we seeing here? So it started with Tanahashi Coates and Brian Stelfreeze, and they just resurrected this Black Panther, and he was just big. And they had this little story inside between Ao and falling in love with this other Dora, and all of a sudden their love is rather forbidden in a sense, because, you know, they're the guard and they should be doing this and here they are. And then they run off together. And my story more focused on that. Now, there was also a killing of someone in there that was like, yeah, I think that was the real issue there because they did things they should not have done, you know, not listening as good soldiers should. And what I found strange is like, okay, so I see the designs of these beautiful women and definitely we're in Wakanda now. And this woman has on a metal brassiere and she's got on a loincloth via Conan style. And I'm going, oh, no, I can't do this. No, no. Just, it's not so, It's not practical. It's just not practical. Not at all. Number one, it's a metal brassiere and it's hot. If you've ever been to Africa, that's not cool climate where it's like, oh, okay, this can nestle here and I'm okay with this. No, no. And at least at Conan, they were fur-lined. Here, they're just like, ha, I'm going to wear this metal brassiere outside. So the first thing I did, I got... The first page I got to draw this, I just redesigned everybody. I went in, I put clothes on these women's back. And not only that, I kind of investigated the various tribes since Roxanne Gay said they're from 12 different tribes of Africa's wives, went looking around for these 12 tribes. And I finally put them in a costume where they, it was practical, it was functional, you can work with it and you're covered and you don't have everything hanging out. There are no heels on gravel, because you know that's not going to work. Ladies, worn heels on gravel. You know what happens. They go flying in two different directions. You are not having that in a fight. And I feel in, in being able to do this and redesign the characters and, you know, dress them and walk away from that hypersexuality, you could see their power at that point. And you could focus on their love story. Now, I tell you, uh, Aletha likes fight scenes much more than love stories. I do. And I was like, I'm going to try this here. I'm going to do this thing because I like a challenge even more than that. So it was fun just getting to live in their world. Well, and that's the great thing about it. Like for you and for these characters, this is like the next evolution of the character, right? We know that when characters first created, they have a small biography and then Little by little by little, the biographies and their histories become fleshed out by other writers and more issues and more series and the things that happened with them. And so you're right. So this is the first time we get to see more than just a handful of Dora Milaje. We see them 
at different levels of their training from different tries. And also, it's the first time we really get a chance to learn more about who they are in their lives and see these women leaders in a way that we hadn't before. For World of Wakanda, it's very much about the women leaders and mentors. Like we have Mistress Zola training the future Dora Milaje. You know, Mm -hmm. Queen Shuri is ruling the kingdom at this point. Anika as captain of the Dora. Was leadership and mentorship a thought as you were working on this book and how you were able to design out some of the panels and the stories between the dialogue? Oh, definitely. That was front and center from page one. We got, I got to design this brand new character and not only that, define her role and Aneka and Io between their love story, you've got the captain of the guard. So you have like, I am the leader and then here is my captain and then having these women stand out. So I had to figure out how to introduce our three main characters to you immediately so that you know them within the first two pages, even though there's a lot of characters and you try to establish all these different scenes and all this explanation and In that kind of way, you have to go back to fall back on your basic storytelling knowledge. You know, within telling a story, you have to have the who is doing what, where are they, when are they, and maybe by the end of the story, you'll find out why they're doing everything. But you know, don't don't count on that. Just hold on to the other things. So it's in a way you present the characters, that opera shot, that bringing them forward. And then I made that one lady, she's the biggest. And then you have the next lady, she's the next size. And then on that panel, we're trying to pick out the one from the crowd. She is forward. So it's how you present them, how you begin to draw them. Mm. So talk to me a little bit about Mistress Zola, right? So we see her mentorship throughout the series mm-hmm. as she's training in these future Dora Milaje. And I really, now we have so many books that now follow along about the Dora Milaje training manuals, you know, little girls who want to be Doras. Like it's such a different thing. And I feel like it starts here with fleshing out these scenes and bringing in a character like Mistress Zola. Well, you know, one of the main things, especially seeing young people today, when you're growing up, you love comics and comics is a golden ticket and you could just be immersed in these beautiful stories and you can be this and you can be that, but it's hard when you don't see any reflections of yourself, especially when it comes to cosplay and things like that, where you want to step out in the world and wear your character skin for a little while, wear your favorite character skin for a little while, but you really can't without somebody saying something untoward to you or you feeling that I have to put on armor underneath my costume just to be able to get through the day and enjoy something that I really, really love. And when you have a whole world built around characters that look just like you, you can be anyone within them. But not only that, you have to be very careful when you're building these type of characters because you want to put forth strength. You want to put forth beauty without hypersexuality because we all know that if you have a, a woman of color in comics, they are usually, oh, she's smart, but she's not this. Oh, she's that, but not this. Where is that middle line thread? Where is that thing where, okay, I can feel just as beautiful as any other character dressed as this woman without feeling like I'm selling myself. And I think that's very important, very important to show. 
I love that. And of course, you kind of talked a little bit about Anika, who was initially the captain and technically in charge of IO, but their relationship changes over the course of the story, as you've mentioned. What was it like working on the evolution of these two characters and shifting the dynamics of their relationship? Honestly, I just love like reading those little moments like, why am I looking at her? Stop looking at her. Are you just thinking about her? Why are you thinking about her so much? You have things to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're acting out this intimate moment, this building relationship and I'm a person who's like, you know, I'm I'm as far away, far... I'm a monk practicing this craft. I have no other life except this. So it's like, are they sure they got the right person to draw this? Do they know that I know nothing about this? But I hope that I was able to bring the vulnerability and to show both sides of these women. It's not just all or nothing. They have a duty, but they also want to have each other. And I do understand longing for stuff that people tell you you cannot have. Do you believe you've had any mentors or leaders in your life? Because, I mean, honestly, you have served as such a mentor and like such an encouragement for so many of us within the comic space, particularly black women who are getting in because you give very freely of your knowledge But for you, do you feel like you've had a mentor or a leader that you've been able to work with throughout your career? You know, when I entered comics, it was very much, you're walking into a landscape where you're not welcome. You don't realize you're not welcome, but you are not welcome there. You'll learn it as you go along when they tell you things like, oh, you don't draw like a girl. But I can say that Joe Quesada gave me my chance. And not only that, just getting to work with him and work underneath him He did the very best thing he could have ever done for me, which is leave me alone to grow. When it was my time, he left me alone. And that allowed me to expand beyond him. So, you know, it's that thing where, you know, how Spanish kids are taught to swim, right? My dad paddled me out into the ocean on his back. I remember this wonderful day in Curacao. And he dumped me off into the water and said, you know, I started back to shore and said, you know, there's sharks out there. Oh, I got back to shore. All right. All of a sudden I could swim. Hallelujah. That's how we were taught. It was the same kind of thing. It was the same feeling to me to be able to just walk out there. And I still face that. Can she do it? Kind of thing. It's still there. But what I noticed for the next generation, the people who've come behind me, they cannot doubt that a woman is capable of doing these type of things because I've done this. I've waged this war a very long time. So I noticed that the next level of creator, they're actually able to create something. They're actually able to talk about their story. I am still living in a space where I am only allowed to draw. I'm only charged with that. I have no thoughts in my head. I have nothing more than contribute. I only regurgitate what I'm told to do. And that is very much how I feel. I still exist in comics today. So what do you think is the most important thing, understanding that you get this more than so many, about the importance of having these mentors and these leaders who are women of color within the comics, within the stories? The main thing that's most important about all of this is the fact that once something is done, 
It is not questioned. I don't know if anyone watches American Ninja Warrior. And for a long time, they were thinking, oh, no women can win this competition. No women can get up the warped wall. No women can do this. And then it was done. And now it's elementary that all women can do this. Everyone can get up that warped wall. Why couldn't it be done? Comics are very much the same way. You have to do it first. And once it's done, they know it can be done. So it's always that new ground to break. But you also have to remember, we're easy to slide back into our old ways. There's a whole bunch of people who are just waiting and they literally will, they feel like, I can't watch that or I can't have that. I don't want girls drawing that. That still exists. It's crazy that it does. And I tell you, I still run up against that. But it's harder for them to deny you in this space because it's like, what did you draw? that I have not drawn. And they try to say something, but it's like 21 years of this. There's precious few characters I have not drawn. So that weighing is still happening. That fight is still there. But no matter what, to be in this space, to exist here, to show the next one, you can do this too. It can be done. And there is longevity for us in this. Because that's another thing we're saying, oh, you're here for a minute and then you're gone. I've been here so long, people forget I'm here. They don't realize I'm here. They don't realize that I usually have two books on the shelf every month for years. That means I don't stop working. And it's very important that that stands for me. I'm okay within my soul if I do no more than this, because I know that I have left it better than I arrived. I love it. I also teach at the School of Visual Arts. I travel for the State Department when they tell me to, to talk about comics around the world to at-risk use. You have to realize it's something we have to share and pay forward. I know that comics, it's for sharks. You have to keep swimming. That is very, very true. But you know what? When you are so small, when you're less than 1% in a 1% club, we have to help each other. Because if you notice... How other people get in positions is because they're helping one another. They don't hoard it for themselves. They help each other up. If we're eating one another, all we're doing is making less of us. So when someone needs help and you have some knowledge, pass it along. We're not at the stage yet where we are allowed to eat one another. It seems like we are, but we are not. We can't afford to do so. So you're only helping the next generation. You make this war so they can farm. You war so they can create. You war so they're never asked, can she do this thing? That space, that's something we have to eliminate. We have to eliminate the need to identify people by race and by gender. You are an artist. I fought to be a comic book artist. As usual, thank you so much for making the time, Aletha. I know you got work on work on work to do, but I am so excited to have had you on. Thank you, Aletha. What I love about Aletha is not that she's just an incredible artist who absolutely loves comic books and has loved them since the moment she picked up her first issue. She has such a depth of love and knowledge about these women. And if that wasn't enough, we also have a very special treat for you. You may be aware that Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever is out now. And friend of the show, Rachel Page, an editor at Marvel.com, got to talk to the one and only Angela Bassett, Queen Ramonda herself. First off, where do we find your character at the beginning of the film and how have they changed since the last time we saw them? 
You find my character at the beginning of the film, now she has to, without her son on the throne, I find myself on the throne. We find Ramonda on the throne as queen mother and as queen uh, leader of the Wakanda nation. Who was your favorite scene partner? Favorite scene partner was Shuri, my daughter. We had very intimate scenes, uh, a couple of very intimate scenes or mother-daughter scenes or, you know, that's so reminiscent of what I go through, Angela, in real life. But I really enjoyed that because of the continuum, you know, a Black Panther, mother-daughter, and then here we are again. So I really feel like the relationship on screen and off screen has, has grown. Without spoiling anything, do you have a favorite part of the movie? I do have a favorite part of the movie. And I, of course, that's when Ramonda is both mother and queen. And she has to make very tough, difficult decisions. Her, But her mother righteous indignation rises up within her. Those are some of my favorites. How does Ramonda approach her maternal relationship with her children and with others under her guidance? Of course, like we have Shuri, we have Riri, we have the Dormalaje. How does she approach those relationships? I think that Ramonda has a great deal of, you know, love and care when it comes to the other women in her world. She understands, you know, she's, she understands what, what, I can't say maybe that's Angela, how difficult it is for a woman in this world. But in this particular world of Wakanda, it's not difficult in that truly, as we say, whatever you want to be, you can achieve it. Such as the case with Shuri and STEM and her tech abilities, such as the same with, you know, with Nakia and with Nye's character in terms of a physical strength and ability. And now with a young girl in Riri Williams, who's a, who sort of puts her in the mind of, of her own daughter. She sees, you know, that brilliant intelligence, but she's a protector of her. You know, I think she's a protector of young women in the things that they need that they may not know at the time that they need. But because she sits in a seat of wisdom herself, she's able to provide that and yet not beat them over the head with it, but in a gentle way. Let's have a conversation about it. Sometimes she has to pull their coattail a little stronger than she would hope because they are so, you know, they're strong-headed because they're, you know, so smart. But it's wisdom she wants to impart to them as well. How does this movie show the evolution of Wakanda and its characters in the MCU? Hmm. Well, within Wakanda... um, it's just a brand new world since they've opened up to other continents and countries and that they exist. So now it's about those expectations or others trying to take what is, what's theirs and how they continue to push back against that or fight against that and protect themselves while yet now being open. And what does Black Panther mean to you? Black Panther, it's... Um, it means growing up in a place where everywhere you look, you, there is nurturing, there's protection, there's love, there's familiarity, respect, and resilience. It's about being excellent in all ways and in all manners. That's the right, nation yeah. of Wakanda. What are you most excited for fans to see in this film? I'm most excited for fans to see the, the characters that they've come to love and admire. And I'm also excited for them to see 
new faces pop up, new faces with new stories and new histories. Do you, I mean, the movie is so emotional. It is so powerful. Do you have one moment on set that really sticks out? I have heard that at one point you did receive a standing ovation after filming a scene. Oh, yeah, that was... In the scene where Ramonda has lost, she relates that she has lost her entire family. You know, she's her husband, her son, and now her daughter. They've all gone, you know. And when uh, Denise's character said, uh, you know, that she has given everything, it's like, hold up, hold yourself, sit down, take a seat, because Ramonda has given the full measure of everything. This is the way she sees it. And, in her mind. So that that day was, it felt, it's film, of course it's cinema, and we know sometimes things are smaller because the, we have the microphone right here up close and we have, you know, cameras that get in and can see every pore. But on that stage, on that set with the Dora Milaje around you and the council and it just, it felt more like theater and it was just a well of emotion that came up for Ramonda. And um, I think because it was, it felt bigger than life, you know, it, uh, it resonated. People felt it, you know, felt it in that moment. It was humbling. It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful day. <laughs> yeah. And now sadly knowing the events of the movie and what happens in the end, like it will be an emotional roller coaster. I heard people gasping and sobbing during the premiere. Is there anything you would like to say to the fans who are especially sad knowing what happens at the end of the movie to Ramonda? Yes, but, you know, Ramonda will return to you when you need her most. There is always the astral plane. When Shuri needed her most, her mother was there. And Ramonda will be there for the fans always as well. There's always hope. I'm like fighting back tears right now too. Um, but thank you so much for this. I love the movie. Like I said, I've seen it many times. I can't wait to see it many more times. And I hope we do meet Ramonda somewhere again in the future. Thank you. Huge thanks to Rachel Page for sharing this conversation with us. If you haven't seen Marvel Studios, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever yet. It's in theaters now, and you should go see it. Well, first off, I have to say, Angelique, you promised us a queen, and you brought us a goddess, so thank you. Uh, hey. Love Angela Bassett forever. But anyway, what did everyone think of the movie? It was so beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was so... I mean, I definitely cried within the first five minutes, let's be honest, mm -hmm. and then cried again mm -hmm. later, and then later, so there was a lot of crying, and also cry like tears of joy for Namor because that man knows how to pose. What a great casting. 10 out of 10, no notes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but I will say that there was a moment in the film that caught me genuinely, totally by surprise. All I want to say in what you're mentioning right now, Ellie, because I know we'll you, don't, you don't want to say it. How do I get this? Uh, let's do verbal Pictionary. Heroic life-saving involving two hydrogens and an oxygen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so like, that's actually... What was I... Uh... <laughs> 
So yes, so I was thrown by that. That was not the most surprising thing to me in the movie, but I was thrown by that. And in fact, I went with former Marvel editor, Jake Thomas, to see this film. And he told me afterwards that it's been so long since he was in a movie theater that he had to stop himself from saying out loud, oh no, what? (laughs) When that happened. That just, you know, how are we going to do this without her? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, No, I was very surprised by who Shuri saw on the ancestral plane and loved it so much. Were you? I just hadn't I would have been surprised had she seen the other ones. Like, I don't know what that speech would have been had she ran into her dad. Oh, I'm with you. It just, it had not occurred to me. I was so wrapped up in the movie, it hadn't occurred to me that was an option. And yeah, then fair. it happened, and I was so delighted. <laughs> it was fair. so great. Yeah, I, I watched it at the Alamo in Brooklyn, and just the audience's reaction when, like, she walked around the throne and, like, he was sitting there was, like, perfection. I was like, yes, I'm here for this. There was actually, there were these two, like, I don't know if they were high schoolers, but much younger fans next to me, and they were, like, chittering throughout the movie like ex- one of them was explaining something to the other and it was like so cute to sort of see this new generation of people like enjoying these films that now what we're going on like 14 15 years of marvel films and like here i am an old person sitting next to these young people having a good time at the movie theater wow. well and that i will say is still so much a part of these films, the experience of getting to see them in the theater, getting to see them with people who, whether they're seeing a Marvel movie for the first time or have seen every single one of these and are having kind of that journey with it, that you're all in this movie watching experience together that is so incredible. And I don't think compares to watching these things in our houses or no. on airplanes. And I think that makes it, you make a good point there because I think I remember the first time I was walking out of Marvel Studios, Captain America Winter Soldier. And, you know, we had sat there and we watched the after credits. And it's been such a progression since then because there's now this whole generation that is used to going out and be like, oh, man, what do you think that means? Do you think this is going to happen? Who's going to be in the after credit scene? It's this culture. And it's so amazing to see it because people... They anticipate it. They want it. They want to know what the next step of the story is. But also, like, they want to be in the movie theater with other folks who are just as excited, who are clapping. And there was an audible gasp when that thing that had happened that I'm not going to say with the water. Mm-hmm. Like, audible. Like, and, and half the people in the movie theater that I was in had seen it. And it was still an audible gasp because everybody was in it together. So, mm-hmm. well... And I will say for the benefit of our audience that there is only one mid-credits scene on this. There is not a post-credits scene on top of that. And I think that was exactly the right call for this movie. Because this movie really is a memento mori. Like, it really is a a eulogy. It is it is so many different things. And I think that what they did at the very end was more Perfection. in keeping in tone than if we had then pivoted to somewhere else in the Marvel Universe. We have seen so many new characters come out this year into the MCU. And now we're looking at Ironheart. We're looking at Ms. Marvel. We're looking at so many other characters that are now starting on their journeys in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. 
obviously Namor. It's also really amazing how that mid credit scene allowed the story to go forward in a way that was honoring what came before. Yeah. So, Judy, next week's episode is yours. What do you have in store for us? I get to talk about my absolute favorite character. I I wonder if you guys know who that is. Uh, Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, and the hero who took on her previous title of Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. They might be the most prominent example in the Marvel Universe of women mentoring other women. And I can't wait to share with you guys. Until then, Women of Marvel is produced by Isabel Robertson, Cara McGurk-Allison, Ellie Pyle, Judy Stevens, and me, Angelique Rocher. Our Senior Manager of Audio Development is Brad Barton. Our Director of Production Management is Larissa Rosen. Our Production Manager is Emily Godfrey. And our Executive Producer is Jill DeBoff. Listen weekly on Sirius XM and on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. This is Marvel. Your universe.